Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Friends, I hope you've enjoyed that long hiatus from the last time we were doing a Star Wars week-to-week episode of a TV show. It used to be we waited about a year and then three or six months, and now it's uh, three weeks. But here we are back. It is not quite the beginning of the new year, but Bad Batch is going to be starting soon, and so myself and Aaron McGowan wanted to do a primer. Uh, this is for people who uh, haven't seen season one and just want to kind of get up to speed, or if you have seen it and you just want to get reminded of some of the good stuff, or just you love it, you're going to watch it again, and you want to talk about it, this is the podcast for you. So all that uh, and more right after this commercial break, that this episode will come out after Christmas, so I hope it's, well, no, it's going to be about New Year's sales. So enjoy. Welcome back. I'm, my name is Matthew. I'm your host. I'll be joined by Aaron McGowan, who's going to be my host throughout the uh, Bad Batch run. We're hopefully going to have some great guests in every now and then. But Aaron, I hadn't even like finished the question about asking if you'd be interested in being the regular on the Bad Batch, and your eyes lit up and you're leaning into the microphone. Talk to me about like why this particular thing is something you're so excited for. Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, so Bad Batch is just so special to me. Because as I've said before on the show, I grew up with Clone Wars. So having another show that is that same style animation, even though it's worlds better, like the animation is incredible to look at, but it's the same style, you know? Right. It's just so nostalgic and it feels like happy and safe to me. So just going into it, I was really excited about that. Um, mm-hmm. And I watched it and I loved it. I'm obsessed with clones. Yeah. I love clones. Anything about clones, I'm like, yes, please. I was so happy to see some clones back in season one. We saw some Rex. Actually, I- mm. oh, yeah. And we saw some Gregor, too. Um, yep. Excited for more possible cameos. But I just really liked the show. I liked the inclusion of Omega. I thought that she was a good, like kind of a fresh perspective on a clone, you know? So. So I think I'm kind of in the same place. And for those who have no idea what we're talking about, I promise we will kind of give some background and overall stuff. We're just kind of going the overall thoughts at the moment. But I think you're right. I think the Bad Batch, there's a bit of summary, but the Bad Batch, for those who don't know, is a a group of clones that were first introduced in season seven of the Clone Wars, which is, I just think one of the best seasons of television ever made in general, um, particularly of Star Wars. But the idea is that they are – they're clones, but they're clones that have been, like, you know, played with. You know, in that, like, they're not exact replicas. They're, something has been done to the DNA sequencing of them. And I, we learned over the course of season one that it was somewhat intentional uh, so that each of them has certain things emphasized. They don't look the same. And, and they're basically, like, a special ops unit of the clones. Um and, and they're a great set of characters. And that one of the things I think I really like, and that oh, Omega is this person who we meet throughout the course of the show, who is a young girl, but is also a clone herself. I think the idea is that she is being aged normally instead of the rest, and that there's something very, she is in some ways kind of like the purest form left of the clone DNA. And so the Kaminoans wanted to get her back. And that there's a whole bunch of story around that, and we'll get into that. But I think part of what I loved about this so much is that it it wound up being a story a lot about the clones, both about, like, what were the clones doing 
after Order 66. And it, it goes into all the stuff about the Empire and, like, why aren't the clones still in the Empire? Like, how did they phase out clones and work in, you know, conscripted uh, stormtroopers instead? Mm-hmm. But also just we get so much more history. We get to learn so much more about what was happening with the clones during all this in a way that, like, once we take the Jedi off the table, I just think we were seeing so much more of them. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed the clone focus. And yeah, just to look into what did happen, because that was such a big question mark. Like, we know that the Stormtroopers aren't clones, but we know Mm -hmm. that the clones stayed a part of the Empire. So like, what happened? And so I think that's what we're going to get throughout this show. We're already starting to see some of it, you know, like, there's clones that don't really go along with the Empire. There's Gregor, there's Hauser, which, oh my god. Hauser mm-hmm. is the love of my life. I <laughs> cannot wait. I I am begging for more Hauser on screen. If we do not get more, I will riot. Um, for for those folks who maybe don't have a uh, encyclopedic knowledge of which clone is which uh, and which clone did what in what episode or in what fan fiction, uh, who is Hauser? Tell us a bit more about who Hauser is yes, and his background. Yeah, so Hauser is a clone. I think he's a captain, um, mm-hmm. and he is located on Ryloth at the end of the war. So he's been working very closely with Cham Syndulla, which is um, mm-hmm. Harris Syndulla's father. He was a freedom right. fighter. So kind of in the episodes um, Devil's Deal and Rescue on Ryloth, I actually just watched them this morning because they're some of my favorites, but um, that goes and talks about Harris Syndulla and what was happening to her when she was a child and the Empire moved into Ryloth. And so Hauser is one of the clones caught in the middle where he's been on Ryloth defending these people and fighting for these people for years. And then, you know, the Republic became the Empire. He kind of went with that change and is starting to see, like, oh, this is not the same as the Republic. This is different. This is worse. As he's there closely working with Admiral Rampart, which is kind of like our stand-in Tarkin. He's like our bad guy in season one. Mm-hmm. It, it's funny how when we talked about resistance just a few weeks ago, you talked about how Pike was kind of the like Gwendolyn Christie, like Phasma stand-in. Exactly. Because they couldn't pay Gwendolyn Christie to be on every episode. And I think this is the exact same. Like, they had the technology to get a little bit of Tarkin voice, but then they gave us a, tar- a diet Tarkin. Exactly. And <laughs> exactly. And I think that leaves open the possibility of Tarkin being a bigger character later in the series. I think mm-hmm. they kind of did that in Rebels, where they kind of just the bigger bad got bigger and bigger as the show went on. Right. Um, but yeah, things I'm excited for this show. I want more Hauser. He's so sexy. Like, I'll just say it. He's got this like Mm -hmm. explosion scar on one side of his face and he has these little gray hairs. Oh my God. I'm like, look at him aging so fast. He's so precious. Mm -hmm. He needs to be loved. Ugh. Okay. Um, he, he, he achieves Silver Fox fairly quickly. Yes. Just, just to let folks know, we're going to be talking about all sorts of things on this show. We're going to be talking about the what we learn about the Empire, because one thing that's great about the show is that it goes into the early days of the Empire mm-hmm. uh, and how it sort of takes over and why people support it, which is really interesting. We're going to be talking about the, the earliest stages of the Rebellion and of like people who are against the Empire, which we see. We're going to be talking about the characters, because the, the Bad Batch itself is this fascinating group of characters. But there is going to be a not insignificant level of clone thirst Mm -hmm. uh, because like that's and I'll admit it's a thing that I didn't really know existed until I kind of watched the show again and again and uncovered the group of uh, folks who you know 
I, I'm on record on this podcast in general saying that like there's a lot about the prequels that I didn't really understand until I listened to the people who'd grown up with it in that kind of a way. Mm-hmm. I want us to talk about the individual characters and hopes for the new season, but let's kind of just go over some of those major themes. Let's just kind of start with the clones because – You've said before this is something you really love. Obviously, you have some strong feelings for a couple of the individual ones, which I think is, is in and of self so funny because the whole idea is that they're all clones. Mm-hmm. They're all the exact same. But they're so different. And yet, as the, sh- as, as the Clone Wars yeah, show, they're not the same by any means. So let me just kind of start there with a general question. Like, what is it about the clones as a group of characters that you find so fascinating and so interesting? Yeah. Um, I feel like – it's the, like, battle for humanity that they have consistently, mm-hmm. like, from the get-go, f- from um, Attack of the Clones, it's very much like, oh, they all look the same, we have that shot of them marching in unison, same armor, same everything. And so, at first, they're presented as very much like Stormtrooper, you know, faceless, right. <clears throat> shoot them when you have to, all that good stuff. Um, and then we get the Clone Wars, and suddenly, not only do they have... I mean, of course, they always had faces, but not only do we see their faces more, but they have names, they have personalities, they have different tattoos, they all have different hairstyles. And so for me, I just loved the individuality of the clones and the fact they have to overcompensate and fight so much to be their own people. I just kind of connected with that as I was growing up and like, who do I want to be? How do I want to express myself? And I think that they're having a similar journey as they're growing up, um, twice the speed yeah. of everyone else and figuring out who they are as individuals and people within being like war slaves kind of. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely hear that. I mean, one of the first things that I really kind of caught on to with them is, you know, those of you who know me know I, I grew up thinking I was a man. I'm, I'm non-binary, my gender. And one thing I've really been exploring is like different ways of expressing my appearance and things like that. And, and just being, but you know, I'm still going to always have a beard. My chin looks ridiculous. It's not a gender thing. Um, but like, just in terms of my gender appearance and the like. But one of the things that as I've kind of studied like masculine ideas of fashion and appearance, one thing that really sticks out is how much like, you know, go to a fancy dress event and you're going to see those who are more femme presenting having all sorts of different like dresses or skirts or pantsuits or all sorts of different things. And then mostly the men are mostly going to be in jacket, shirt, and tie, and pants, where the way to express themselves is probably the color of the tie, yeah. or maybe the 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 color of the suit, or maybe the cut of the suit, but it's all going to look much closer to each other. And so in a weird way, having these clones who all have the exact same DNA structure, they're all going to be the same height, they're all going to have the same facial structure and all the rest, but wind up. Like, the fact that we can differentiate between probably, like, I think there's, like, 40 different identified clones, maybe even 50. So much more. That are are known. (laughs) But in terms of, like, individual named characters who are recognizable because of different hairstyles, because of different scars. Like, they have such a small range of things they can change from each other to express themselves, and yet we can so easily tell who is who. It was really something that was really interesting to me in terms of terms of like exploring that idea of of self expression through appearance. Yeah, one of my favorite examples of that is the Domino Squad, which is um, mm. heavy fives, Echo, Cut Up, and is it just four? I think so. Yeah, I feel like I'm missing someone. Anyways, it's these group of clones that we meet originally on the Rishi moon 
in Clone Wars, which is this episode where there's these rookies working on a backwater station, and then the Separatists come and take the station, and it's the clones' jobs to, you know, let the Republic know that the station has fallen. And so we meet these clones, and at the end of the episode, we have this big sacrifice by Heavy. But when we mm-hmm. see them, they all look the same. They all have the same hair, no facial, like, um, facial hair, no tattoos, same haircut, same everything when we first meet them. And then we see them again in a new episode that's kind of a flashback to when they were younger in training. And again, they all look the same, but we're starting to get to know them more. So we can kind of hear the vocal inflections, just the way that they kind of act starts to differentiate them. And then by the time the end of the series comes, um, Heavy and Cut Up have died. And then we have... Fives and Echo, and they're arc troopers, and they have this really cool armor, and Fives has this great beard and this little tattoo on his forehead, and you just see their individual individuality come to, like, fruition, basically. And then mm-hmm. we also do lose Echo. He's blown up and then captured by Separatists for several years, and then we get him back, and he's actually part of the Bad Batch. Right. Which is one of my favorite things, because Echo and Fives, mm-hmm. they're my little domino twins. That's what I like to call yeah. them. I was so sad when I, he passed. I, I think also part of why you think there's five domino – we start out with five of the domino squad, but I think one of them, Lieutenant, the one who's in charge, gets killed very early on, and so we never really learn about him. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and I think that's such a great example of just how the clones become these interesting characters and – and for me, I think a big part of it as well is that, as your story is just talking about, it's not that, like, it's just because they're all living, like, regular lives that they start to differentiate. It's that these are people who have specifically been genetically bred to be soldiers. They are – and they're bought and sold. I mean, they're this very interesting – like, they're, they're literally slaves uh, in terms of the – you know, when some of them decide, like, hey, maybe I don't want to go and be a part of this war, like, that's desertion. That's a crime. Mm-hmm. And there's a great episode in season one about uh, when that happens to someone. And, and um, I assume everyone's seen Clone Wars by now. But you know, if, if if not, I'm not going to spoil the end of it. But it's definitely worth checking it out. But to me, I think one of the things that's so interesting is that what they ex- what it is that starts to have them get all this differentiation and, like, is their experience together of war. Also, I did just look it up. There is a fifth clone. Um, his name was mm-hmm. Droid Bait. What is it? Droid Bait. Droid Bait. Okay. Is he the one who dies early on? Uh, I honestly don't know. He might have... He either has an off-screen death or he's killed right up front with the sergeant on the Rishi Moon. There might be right. two of them that die right away. And then cut okay. up gets eaten by a worm, and then we have three of right. them left, and then heavy gets blown up, and then we got two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, 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 it's brutal what happens. It's to rough. I think that's one of the things that I think is so interesting is that it's not just that they are, you know, oh, going out into the world and having and finding these identities. It's that they're forged through war. Mm-hmm. Like they are literally bred to be soldiers. They're they're slaves. I think by by any definition, they are bought and sold. They're not allowed to decide they don't want to be soldiers. And when one of them does, there's a great plot line on 
in season one about him deserting and, and, and how that all happens. Although it was an intentional desertion, but that's another story. But I do think it's so interesting that it is – and they frequently will talk about like, oh, like Geonosis was this very important battle for many of them because that was the the, the battle in the second movie, Attack of the Clones, uh, is definitional for many of them. And then they talk about like who are the ones who weren't at Ryloth and that experience of war – is so fundamental for them. And to me, it's one of the most interesting parts of their story, especially in their story in regard to the Jedi, is how much, you know, these are veterans and they're having PTSD and they're having all these experiences. And it is those, it is that experience of fighting together and of bonding with each other that really starts to form their identities. Yeah. Shall we talk about the Bad Batch? <laughs> yeah, let's go into it. I, I definitely do want to. I just want to talk about that one other kind of overarching theme of the time that we're doing all this in. So, yeah, what was your impression of having a show? We have all these different times in Star Wars that we're getting into, one of which is, you know, now with Andor and with Rebels, we're exploring a lot more about the time shortly before uh, A New Hope and all that happens with Resistance and the sequels. We're exploring that time kind of far in the future after Last Jedi. We've explored the Clone Wars and all that time. What was your feeling, especially both before you heard the show was happening and then when while watching the show, about getting to explore this early days of the Empire? Um, well, this show snuck up on me. I don't know how I missed it, um, but I just saw it on Disney Plus one day and I was like, what's this? Um, so I didn't have much time to like speculate or prepare myself, but in just the experience of it, I just – I really liked it a lot because it – is showing you all those little things that are happening mm -hmm. that's changing in the empire. Like certain credits aren't worth anything anymore. You can't like sell certain explosives anymore because that's considered like more illicit than it used to be because the empire is cracking down on all weapons. On Ryloth, they right. collect everyone's weapons. They don't allow the citizens to have any um, arms, which that's a whole other story. But um, I just – and the chain codes – um, and I like how the Bad Batch is seeing all these changes and having to deal with them and reroute and figure out what they need to change. Like, we do have an episode in season one of the Bad Batch that also includes that clone deserter from season one of the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. And it's about him and his family when the chain codes first kind of start rolling out and they need to get off planet because, you know, if Cut's discovered, that's the clone. If Cut's discovered, their entire family's going to be thrown in prison. You know, whatever. He's a deserter. Right. Um, so I really like seeing the little things the Empire is doing and how it's affecting everyday people. You know, this one little clone yeah. squad. Yeah, I think it's a really fun part of the story. Um, especially because, as I mentioned in the beginning... One thing we see is why a lot of the people are happy for the Empire. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's easy to think, like, oh, people would always hate this. The unfortunate thing is, you know, and this is a theme that is, you know, we see in history all the time. We see in fiction all the time. Un unfortunately, in times of great chaos and war, if there is a strong man or a strong kind of force that can come along and say, don't worry, we're going to make everything, you know, structured and ordered again. We're going to take care of the chaos. We're going to get the trains running and the electricity running and all that. People turn to that. I think it's one of the scariest parts, but also the most effective parts of the show. And I'm, I'm excited. We saw kind of like year one of the Empire and now I'm excited to see like where that's going to go. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, now let's talk about the Bad Batch <laughs> themselves. Uh, do you want to give us a rundown of kind of who's in the Bad Batch? Yes. Okay. So, as I like to call them, the Dad Batch, um, because yeah. as the show continues, they just become more and more 
tired dads. Especially Hunter. So we'll start out with Hunter. He's yep. kind of our sergeant. He's the leader. He's got this nice bandana and this beautiful, luscious hair. Oh my goodness. He's so pretty. And he has this skull tattoo on half of his face. And I know Danielle's mentioned this before. Maybe not on the show. But there's a fan idea that that tattoo goes down his whole body of like a skeleton thing and Interesting. i'm just really into that personally but um <laughs> so hunter it's a shame that podcasts can't show how much aaron is blushing right? <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um but yeah hunter is a king he's kind of he has the responsibility for everyone so when mm-hmm. crosshair either his chip doesn't malfunction or when crosshair as we later see chooses to stay with the empire Hunter has a lot of guilt and hurt about that. You know, he says in one right. of the episodes, we don't leave a man behind. Like, we shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to go back for him. And you see that kind of responsibility carry over and be poured into Omega as she's right. learning. And something that um, Cut's wife, Sue, says to Hunter is children get into trouble. Like, they will always find right. trouble. It's our job to get them out of it. And so that's just a theme we see throughout the show. And I've noticed rewatching the show, when they're fighting other clones, they will always use stun. Because yeah. they don't want to kill, you know, the other clones who have the chips. They know they can't control it. But in that same cut and run episode where they're trying to escape with the chain codes, Omega's trying to get back to the ship and a clone grabs her by the ankle and pulls her down. And Hunter immediately starts shooting live rounds at him. And at all of them, they all start shooting live rounds because Omega matters more. And so that's... The desire to protect is such a strong part of who they are. Exactly. You're right. I think describing... Like, I'm going to call one of them an uncle, not a dad. But yes, I think from... That's true. Definitely a strong, you know... Yep, yep. The the dad energy is there. And and as you say that, it makes me realize we should probably, like, fill in a little bit more of the story before getting into the individual. So I just want to kind of uh, go over a bit of this. What the story the story starts with us in Order sixty six and the clones are getting ready. The Bad Batch is getting ready for a big attack. Uh, the clones are uh, Order sixty six happens, and the clones are now told that they're supposed to be killing Jedi. And for some reason, most of our heroes, most of the characters of the Bad Batch, or they don't seem to have the Order sixty six thing. Doesn't really hit for them, uh-huh. um, but it does hit for one of them, Crosshair, and we'll get into who the individuals are in a second. And this all matters because there's a young uh, a Jedi and a Padawan who has been kind of helping to lead that attack that they're on. Uh, the Padawan, it turns out, is Kanan J- is the person who's going to become Kanan Jarrus. Uh, so that that's a whole other interesting part of the story. But basically, what happens is like. Some of the clone, most of the bad batch is like, "Eh, I'm not really sure we should be like trying to do this, but Crosshair is in the, my chip is working, good soldiers follow orders. Uh, he's, he wants to kill, uh, the Padawan. They wind up fighting with each other, and that's how the bad batch goes kind of on the run. And then so for most of the story, the bad batch is kind of off doing its own thing while Crosshair is working with the Empire and, and hunting them. Yes. for, uh, For all intents and purposes. Yeah. So, okay. With that, like a little bit of a framework, now let's talk about some more of the individuals. Good clarification. Good clarification. Um, so, yeah, we talked about Hunter. I envision him as just the ultimate tired dad. And like you said, there's definitely an uncle, Uncle Wrecker for sure. And if we really want to yep. break it down, there's probably – it's just a full family rather than the dad batch. But um, yep. I just see Hunter as like an exhausted dad running off of 
only coffee, no sleep, mm-hmm. and stim packs. <laughs> and yep. that's how I envision him. I also have this little headcanon while we're talking about him that when Omega has nightmares about being like trapped on Camino and being like kidnapped by bounty hunters that she likes to go Mm -hmm. and crawl into bed with Hunter. And I think that's just so sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, And I totally see that within his character to be like confused and uncomfortable at first and then just to go with it because it's what she needs. <laughs> yeah, I think he has that caretaker vibe to mm-hmm. him. And it's in part why he kind of take, he takes care of the team. and But also in part because I think because he is a hunter, he's very, very good at observing. And I think he's the first one to really recognize – A, first of all, because like, they don't like take Omega with them. Like she just tags along yeah. and they keep trying to leave her behind and she keeps tagging yeah. along. <laughs> and I think he's the one of the first to really recognize both her ability – her abilities because she is very she winds up being able to mirror all of their abilities mm-hmm. in really interesting ways uh, and we'll get to her but like he just he he realized he's the first to really realize that she's becoming part of the team and that that's okay yeah yeah in the there's an episode where they rescue a former separatist senator on Raxus mm-hmm. and they leave Omega behind because they're like that's a separatist planet we that's the separatist capital we're not bringing her so they leave her behind and then they're on the mission and Hunter goes okay Tech you and Omega go around the back and Tech goes right well that would be hard to do because Omega's not here <laughs> and I think that's just like shows exactly what you were talking about as mm-hmm. he starts to like yeah. see her as part of the team and understand her useful qualities definitely definitely yeah all right let me talk uh I don't want to make you do all five, so let me talk about Wrecker next. Yeah. As I said, Uncle Wrecker. He is – like, we know that in some ways the clones are all, like, 11 or 12 years old chronologically. They're just – they're designed to age a lot faster rate. Wrecker is both he, – he's the biggest of them and he's very much like – if it, I think you can think of them as all dads. You can also very much think of them as a D&D party. And, like <laughs> – if Hunter is the ranger, Wrecker is 100% the barbarian. Yes. Like, he's just like – and he's the like – he loves all the big guns. He loves the big explosions. And he's really just a big kid. Like, he's just – he's seriously bummed when at one point, like, the enemy does something stupid. And so he doesn't get to use his special bombs to yep. blow them up. You know, that's – him and Sabine Wren would be such good buddies. Oh, yeah. Uh, in a way that I hope to see they get to hang out. But he, I think, in a lot of ways, because, like – Hunter is the adult who Omega's looking to. Wrecker is that kind of uncle who, like, all the other adults look at side-eye, but all the kids love. Uh-huh. Because he's just a big kid at heart. And yeah. Almost there's a, a great – Yeah, he's a peer. And, like, you can just tell he he trusts her. He supports her in a lot of ways because of that. There's some great scenes of them going out to get – um, what's the name of the kind of candy popcorn snack that they get? Mantelmix. Mantel mix, right? Because they're on Ord Mantel, uh-huh. which if they're not selling at uh, Galaxy's Edge right now, Disney marketing is doing something very, very wrong. Yeah. And one of the things about it that happens during the course of the season is – because one thing we realize is that some of them still have their chips, but for whatever reason, their chips didn't kick in. His chip starts to kick in uh-huh. at one point during the season. And I think it's one of the most emotionally harrowing parts of the season and really good because it is the one who Omega has – most come to trust and has most come to see as lovable and huggable and there for her that he now is all of a sudden the one going good soldiers follow good orders i have to i have to take you in yeah yeah no that was a really painful episode mm-hmm. where like 
And they built it up for a little bit where he hit his head in one episode, started complaining about headaches, things like that, the same way that Tup did in The Clone Wars. In season six, we see another clone trooper whose chip malfunctions and he gets Order 66 early and he kills a Jedi. So we have the same symptoms showing up in Wrecker. And, you know, Omega's really worried about him, worried about this, like, surgery that they have to do to remove the chip. And right as they're about to do it, um, the chip, you know, fully takes over. And he Mm -hmm. grabs Tech, chokes him, throws him across the room, takes out Ecker and Hunter in one fell swoop, you know. And they're like, okay, we need to get him. We need to lead him away, whatever. And Wrecker finally tracks down and, like, corners Omega. And she has a gun on him. And she's like, don't, like, Wrecker, please. Like, this isn't you. It's the chip. Like, I'm your friend. And he swats Mm -hmm. the gun away and he's about to shoot her. And then I believe it was Rex stuns him from behind. And they go, they do the surgery. And when he wakes up, Omega's, like, by his side. She refuses to leave his side. And he wakes up and she's like, oh, like, you're okay. Yay. And he's just, I am so sorry. Yeah. And that moment, just like to see him so serious and so remorseful, just like really hit home. Mm-hmm. It really does. And I think it, it gets to some of the really underlying themes of the whole show about like how much are these people in control, you know, in terms of like the actions you take. And, and you know, granted, like the, the whole idea of the chip is th- there's a lot of debate about the chips and like to what extent they, they have total control or their influence. And that's a question I hope is going to get further resolved in season two because it's still left a little murky in season one. But just that idea of these people who are fighting against what they have been trained to do, you know, I think is one of the most um, impactful parts of the whole story. And it's one of the things I most love about Wrecker's story. And he's a character who's definitely painted with a very broad brush, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think, like, the first time I watched it, it was so obvious what was going to happen with him that I think I was a little cynical about it. But then the second time I watched it, I really kind of got sucked in by like, just how, you know, how harrowing this would be for her, mm-hmm. especially. Yeah. And one little detail I appreciate about Wrecker is how he is big. He's kind of an oaf, you know? He misses a lot of nuances. Mm-hmm. He's kind of the comedic relief. But he's not dumb you know yeah like he is their weapons expert he is the explosive expert he knows how to disarm a bomb in less than 10 seconds you know all that good stuff and we see him teaching right. omega some of these skills um which i just liked that the depth to his character that he's not dumb and he is yeah. a genius when it comes to like weapons and explosives and what he's good at right. you know and he's He's the sort of person who he's very good at particular things and he's very comfortable letting other people take over where he's not good, mm-hmm. you know? Like three people will be sitting around talking about a plan and one person will go, well, yeah, but maybe if we attack this group, the record will go, okay, let's attack this group. Mm-hmm. And the other two will go, no, no, wait, wait, but there's problems. And then he's just like, okay, I'll just listen. <laughs> he's <know>? like, sure. <laughs> it, it's very endearing. Yeah. Uh, all right. So who do you want to do next? I want well, to die. Who do you want to talk about next? Well... <laughs> we'll answer the other question later but i'm gonna talk about echo next um echo is for background i mentioned him before he was part of the domino squad and then the domino twins it was him and fives Mm -hmm. and he is kind of lost blown up on a mission to rescue admiral tarkin or Mm -hmm. who at the time was i think a lieutenant or a captain or something Right. 
And so that was an interesting episode to kind of see Tarkin's animosity towards the clones already. And then Echo, in the first few episodes of The Bad Batch, he sees Tarkin is on Kamino. And he tells everyone, like, mm-hmm. oh, this is bad. Like, this guy hates clones. Like, right. this guy... I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I did rewatch the episode of Echo, you know, being lost and blowing up recently. And there was something where it really was Tarkin's idea or Tarkin's fault that what happened to him happened. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's because Tarkin, in many ways to me, Tarkin is kind of the Republic officer equivalent of Pong Krell. And that he sees the clones as, in many ways, I think what they were originally meant to be in a horrible way of like paid for Republic property. Uh-huh. And, you know, he both the simple fact that the clones have names is themselves a part of their individuality because they're supposed to just have numbers like, you know, uh, you know, like property. Yeah. And like um and yeah, so I think that's the thing is that for Tarkin it's a and him and Anakin have some really chilling conversations uh where they kind of see eye to eye. But yeah, for Tarkin I think it's um I, I don't remember the exact details, but at some level for him I think like, you know, the the clones are resources, so sacrificing a few resources to protect a larger group or to protect him is perfectly acceptable. And I think that's kind of what happens with Fives. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, with Echo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Echo, yeah, was a clone that I had a lot of love for in the Clone Wars, so I was really happy to see him back in the Bad Batch. Um, I right. think Season 1 Echo was a little bit of a background character. We didn't get into him mm-hmm. too much. Um, you know... Part of it I thought was that – because Echo is interesting because he's not part of the Bad Batch in, in terms of being, like, genetically different from the other clones. Uh-huh. He is he is 100% a clone, but he's been kind of turned into a cyborg because for a long time he was basically plugged into a Separatist computer to be a um, part of the Separatist battle planning and all this. Yeah. So now he has, like, all these computer enhancements. I think this was the only other – not like problem, but the only thing I think was a little bit off about the first season is it feels like – because there's also one named Tech who we'll get into. And I feel like part of why Echo becomes somewhat of a background character is that it's not really clear what the differences are between what Tech can do and what Echo can do in terms mm-hmm. of that they're both sort of like computer-focused very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the main difference brought up between them is that Echo is officially a reg, as they call them. Right. Okay, so what I'd really like to see from Echo in Season 2 is I want some more, like, trauma. I want to hear about what did happen, you know? Right. Like, and how that affects how he acts today. Because he is different than he used to be. He's a lot more serious, not as fun-loving, and he's very skeptical and, like, cynical towards the world. Right. And especially, like, anything having to do with... The war. He still very much is like, go the Republic. The Republic planets are good. Separatist planets bad. Right. Which I think is really interesting because one of the things that we're seeing, and um, uh, which I think is really interesting because one of the things that we've seen all the way up until the Rebels and Andor era is that you know the Empire has now taken over and in a way kind of like. White is trying to wipe away the difference between Republic and Separatist. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, they're both Republic and Separatist people. They're both former Republic and former Separatist people who both feel oppressed by the Empire and have reason to band together. But the tensions are really there. 
And like I said, you see that all the way into the Rebel days and some great episodes in, in those shows. But yeah, Echo is the one who, when they do have to go rescue a separatist Ryloth senator, uh, when they do have to go rescue, eh, when they do have to go rescue a separatist senator, Echo is the one who has the most tension about it. And Echo is the one who is, I think in some ways, like still the most like, well, maybe we can bring back the Republic. Maybe this can be worked out because, yeah, I think he, all of these clones fought in the Clone War, but he was the most affected by it. He was the one who was taken prisoner and who was really traumatized mm-hmm. in, in ways you're right. We haven't seen yet, but it would be interesting to explore further. Yeah. And he also had a completely different experience than the rest of the Bad Batch. You know, they were a mm-hmm. specialty group. They were Clone Force right. 99, which let's take a moment to appreciate the fact that they're called Clone Force 99, named after our beloved Clone mm-hmm. 99, who was a genetically defective clone. Um who was kind of old and he was like a janitor at Camino and just very much loved everyone. And he had a very heroic death. So I appreciate mm. the, the mention to him in the name. Um, definitely. Definitely. But yeah, Echo was very much like on the front lines of like the marching battles, the big battles. And they were very like sabotage, very little assassinations, little things like that. Um, so I think mm. that that's like an interesting difference that they all have and it comes up a lot when they're like planning and talking about things where echo i feel like has a very typical approach and they maybe think a little more outside the box and i think it's also helpful because as we've already seen they do wind up interacting with other of the regular clones Mm -hmm. uh because it's not like they're just all dropping dead you know and some of them have had their chips removed like rex and are so are helping them Others, like some of the ones you mentioned, are their chips are working, and so they're working for the Empire. And and F- Echo is often able to be the one who can kind of most connect with them, or at least be the bridge between them in ways that I think are really interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. they do. Like, even the term regs, like, we, we see in the first episode, there was definitely some tension between the Bad Batch and, and, and the rest of them, as is pretty common in military when you've got, like, special forces versus, like, the, the regular grunts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I really would like to see more of if we do get Rex back in this season is I'd like to see, I kind of want some painful conversations with him in Echo, maybe just reminiscing about the 501st or a little mm-hmm. quote or mention to fives, like something like that. I would love to see a little callback. Right. And I don't know if they're going to do this, but I would really love to see Echo kind of start to, like, heal. Like, he's really pale. He, you know, doesn't have any hair. Gaunt. He looks horrible. But, like, he's been out of the Separatists' clutches and on his own for a while. And so I'd love to see maybe some of his skin color come back. Maybe get a little Mm -hmm. hair. I don't think they're going to do it, but that's something I would really love to see. It could definitely be nice, yeah. I would agree with that. Let me talk about Crosshair, because Crosshair, I, I love villains. I love the haunted people. It, it does it does make me laugh, by the way, that, like, so many people are, like, people who don't really understand Star Wars often think, like, oh, it doesn't have the depth of, like, a Star Trek. Star Wars is just, you know, laser swords and, and fights. And here we are, like, give us the trauma. We want <laughs> the trauma. Like, Dave Filoni, if you don't punch us in the feels every week, something is wrong. No, literally. We're – we're, we're, we're broken people. But that's not a story entirely. But like – so Crosshair is – he's the um, – as you can imagine from the, the the name, he's the sniper. 
He is, and he's got this, like, he looks older than all the rest in a way that I think is very interesting. He looks, like, gaunt and thin, and he's got this, like, literal crosshair tattoo across his eye, which is both, like, amazing and just, I I have two tattoos. They did not feel great, and they're on pretty safe areas. The idea of getting that part of my body tattooed is just, ah, like, more power to anyone who can do facial tattoos. That's how you know he's hard as nails. (laughs) Exactly, but... The the thing with him is that he always, like, even when they're in the Bad Batch, he's the most jaded. He's the most cynical. He's the most, like, I don't care about all the politics stuff. Just tell me who to kill and I'll kill them and I'll go on with my day. Which, especially when you think about a sniper's role, that kind of makes sense. Like, that he's he's not in a, like, kill or be killed. My adrenaline is up. This person – he's like, no, this person is no threat to me in this immediate moment. They're a mile away or, you know, hundreds of yards away or whatever it is. And I'm going to kill them with a sniper rifle. Mm-hmm. And it fits for his character. And so when he is the one who doesn't go with the rest of them, and he's, he says that that line, good soldiers follow orders, which seems to be kind of the code of the chip is working and making them not think for themselves. It's already really powerful. And you could have just had him be just, you know, Joe Villain. He's now the, the mustache twirling imperial. What I love is that you give him such a deep story in that, He's the one who first is supposed to lead some of these new Imperial conscripts, and he doesn't get along with them, in part because they're not as brutal and bloodthirsty as he is, which is hard to watch. But also, you see, like, he goes back to the room that he used to share with the Bad Batch, and you see him, like, looking around at, like, the notes on the wall of, like, you know, how many missions they've done and miss and missing them. Mm-hmm. And so there's a running theme, I think, throughout the show of will he eventually come back to the Bad Batch? And the Bad Batch really wants to rescue him at various points in time. And I think one of the most, like, harrowing parts of the show, because so much of this is about, like, getting rid of people's chips. And if you get rid of people's chips, of course, they'll do the right thing. Yeah. Early in the season, the Empire does some kind of, like, experiment on his chip. And later on, we learn that his chip has actually been removed or deactivated or something like that. So that he is no longer doing this because of his chip. He's just doing this because he believes in the Empire and he believes what the Empire is doing is right. Yeah. What, what's your kind of take on Crosshair as a character and like what we, what we see about him? Well, in my little notes here from rewatching season one, I had one thing written about Crosshair. Mm-hmm. I want more murder daddy Crosshair in his <laughs> sexy all black armor. Like that all black armor. And um, I was rewatching this morning, you know, and also just like the theme, the musical theme that they have for him. So scary. Really it's so good. Mm-hmm. Just like the the feelings it evokes. Um, I love so much. But yeah, it's like, it's hard because he is the most jaded. He is the most cynical. And he always was. We see that in right. season seven of The Clone Wars. He's kind of the one who picks a fight with Rex. Who's like, whatever, we don't need to go back for this guy. He's just another reg. He's talking about yeah. Echo. He ends up on the same squad as Echo. So that's mm-hmm. kind of an interesting thing there. But um, yeah, I think you're very right about he's not in the close fighting, like the adrenaline, he's kind of always the one with the power. And so I right. think it gives him kind of this like ego trip of like, no, it's like, I'm the one who like watches over everyone. Like I take out the bad guys that people can't see. I'm the one with the power. And I think that kind of is why he wants to stay with the empire. They're the same way, you know, they're very like power oriented. Mm-hmm. And so I think that he kind of connects with that. Um, 
about his chip, I don't know that I believe it's been removed. Mm, interesting. Okay. I know in that- It is a subject for some debate. I know yeah. like, the show tells us that it has, or that it's- no- He says, I'm no longer under the influence of the chip. Yeah. But yeah, it's probably- it, it is very possible that that's not accurate. Yeah. So, I don't know which way I would rather have it. I think it's more interesting for his character that it is removed, but I think if we want, like, a quick redemption arc for him, having it still be there at this point, I think would make more sense. And maybe it's removed later. I don't know. Yeah. Just something. I wasn't sure that I bought it just because the only person we heard it from was him. And he's been so jaded towards the Bad Batch since they left him. So I thought we never left a man behind. So like, I thought I was part of your squad and you guys just don't care about me. And so I could see that as like a very backhanded thing to say to really hurt them all, you know? I don't have my chip. I just don't want to be with you guys. Yeah, I, I really appreciate how they set it up in a way where – and this is kind of something that Star Wars has been doing more and more of it's not asking you to be sympathetic towards the fascists, towards the Empire, towards whatever. But it is showing you that there, that a person can believe that they're doing the right thing like by being part of the Empire. And like, like I, I fully understand that – Crosshair is not a mustache twirler. You know, mm-hmm. he does think that out of A, because of his sense of like, no, no, the Empire is like bringing law and order. It's good. Um, I don't think it's good. But, you know yeah. I mean? but also, yeah, he has all these hurt feelings. Like he thinks he genuinely believes that the Bad Batch betrayed him. And I think they set that up in a way where it makes sense. And I, I agree with you. I think they could do good storytelling either way. I think for me, the, the thing that I hang on to that I think is what proves that he doesn't have the chip anymore is that he hasn't said the phrase good soldiers follow orders since like the thing that happened with the chip. That's true. Um, so that's what I think is the real clue. But I think you're right. It could be these the things, and especially it could like I genu- I like decision making. I like agency. I like characters having agency. And so for me. And granted, I think this is just kind of a problem with how Order 66 happens in that prequel movie. I know I'm a heretic for critiquing anything about the prequels. I apologize. <laughs> um, you can make a joke about how old I am. But like the – for me, it is a – characters are more interesting if they are wrestling with decisions instead of just like, I was under control, so I did this, and now I'm not under control, so I do that. Yeah. And so, yeah, like I like the idea that – Either A, the chip is gone entirely, or maybe it's just that the chip is, like, pushing him in a way, but he still has some agency as how much he is or is not resisting the chip. Because yeah. we certainly saw with the Bad Batch, uh, with with Record a little bit, like, he did fight the chip for a little while before it took over. And I think we saw that with Rex, too, as well, at the end of the uh, Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Let's. There's so much more that we could say about Crosshair. Uh, let's go to Omega. Uh, talk to us about Omega. And, like, because she's the last – well – there's two more to talk about tech and Omega, but I think as we said, there's not too much to say about tech, unfortunately, but why don't you take both of them? <laughs> Just forgets about tech. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, it's okay. I'll talk about both of them because I kind of like them a lot in tandem. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll say a bit about the two of them quick. I did have in my notes, I want more of tech teaching Omega because we have a lot of these little moments where it's like, Omega is his little helper and she's just so eager to learn and know things and, you know, she wants to fly. So Tech says, okay, 
you can fly once you memorize every single one of the ship's specifications. Like, this is how it works. This is what we're going to do. And there's a scene where Hunter and Wrecker are talking about something. Tech's in the background fixing some techie thing, as, as he does. And he's, you know, to Omega, hand me the this. Hand me the that screwdriver. Hand me the this wrench. And so I just really like... He almost like just really sees her like as a peer, I almost feel like. Mm -hmm. Like he sees her as someone to teach. He doesn't really look down upon her. He sees her as very useful on the episode where they are, after they remove their chips and they're still on the Republic cruiser, he's trying to get power back up. And he says, Omega, I need you up on the bridge. And so Mm -hmm. he, similar to Hunter, like really sees her value and utilizes her when needed, which I like. Um, other than that, Tech's just great. He's a little comedic relief. He seems like like where Wrecker is the uncle who loves kids and gets along great with kids, Tech is like the uncle who was like maybe the youngest in the family, never really interacted with yeah. kids, doesn't really understand how you maybe should treat kids a little differently and like have kid gloves. You know, he's just like, okay, right. you're a person and we're just going to work together. So I like him. He for also, that. I think, winds up being a little bit of an exposition machine. Yeah. In that, because he's the one who always like can dial into the um, the imperial plans or look at the stuff, and I think it works as a plot device, you know. And it's it's unfortunately a part of why we don't get as much of him as a character. I think yeah. because he's doing that, but it does help to move the stories along. Yeah. Yeah. So that's tech. I hope to see more of him, a little more in depth character work in season two. So that we can have a little more to say on him next time. Um, yep. But going into Omega, as you said before, she is a, like, raw genetic um, template of Django Fett, basically. Right. They say that she's the only um, exact clone other than Boba Fett. But he was lost at the start of the Clone Wars, so the Kaminoans need Omega if they want to keep cloning without um, having the genes deteriorate further and further because you can't really clone a clone and then clone that clone right. without it becoming disastrous. Or at least that's their explanation. I wouldn't know. I'm not I'm not a cloner. <laughs> right. But that's kind of like a big plot device for at least the first half of the season. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, the second half, too. But um, mm-hmm. where the Kaminoans are really after Omega because they need to secure their importance to the Empire and prove we can keep making clones that are right. useful and good. And so they end up sending bounty hunters after her. We see Fennec Shand and we see ugh, Cad Bane. We see this great little um, like shoot off showdown between him and Hunter that I loved where Hunter lost miserably because it's Cad Bane. And of course he would like mm-hmm. Hunter. I love you so much, but no, like you no. just weren't going to win that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's like Omega's importance from like a, like high view, whatever that's called. Right. Um, but I like just her curiosity for the world. Like she very much, she grew up on Camino. She has never left Camino. And so just right. throughout the show, she's so excited about every little thing. And it's fun to see her discovering the world and learning that you can't really trust everyone and not everything is good, yeah. but you can trust your friends and you can rely on the people who love you. Yeah, like early on, there's a well. First, just in terms of exploring the world, like there's a scene where she just she sees gra- grass mm-hmm. for the first time and and dirt because she's never seen that on Camino. Um, but also, like 
yeah, at first when Fennec Shan comes along, she's like, okay, sure, I'll kind of trust you. And has to learn, like, wait, no, no not every adult is a safe adult, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. And I love – there's one recurring line that I think is just so sweet that whenever Omega mm-hmm. is – it happens when she's kidnapped. It happens when she just gets herself into trouble, but she always is saying, Hunter, I need you. And that's just like a very, oh, it always pulls on my heartstrings. There was the one scene specifically where she's on Camino and she's trying to contact them. And then Cad Bane finds her and pulls her away. And she's just as like, Hunter, I need you. And they can't find her location. They can't find her. And he's just losing his mind, having an absolute worried dad moment. Um, right. And so I think their connection is really, really sweet. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. Yeah. As you were saying earlier, Omega kind of has these abilities, like it makes you wonder if she hasn't been enhanced in the way that every single one of them have, you know, like she seems to pick up very much on hunters tracking abilities. She can figure that out really quickly. She's, you know, she helps tech a lot. So she's very um, tech oriented. You can tell that she's very smart in that way also, but also she's wanting to learn how to use this um, bow. She also is learning how to deactivate explosives And so I think it's just fun to see, like, a beginning version of all of them and how she's going to grow and, like, those abilities are going to grow and see kind of where she goes from there and find out if she does have more abilities than just them. Yeah. I I think that's a really good way to put it. And I think it's interesting because this then starts what is – I think one of – was one of the biggest, like, debates during the show itself in the first season – and I think has now been mostly put to bed, but I, I'm 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 curious to see if we'll reopen it in the second season, and also your thoughts on it. Because during the first season, at least as I was watching it, a lot of the theories I was hearing was that what made her so special was that she was force sensitive, and that this was the beginnings of the attempts to figure out could you make a force sensitive clone which of course is the beginnings of the research that will eventually lead to the cloning of Palpatine however many years later in uh, Rise of Skywalker. I didn't love that theory because I liked that other than at the very beginning with Kanan Jarrus and um, uh, Order 66, there was no lightsabers in this show. Like it was not a force-focused show. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of didn't want it to be all about a proto-Jedi, yet another like Jedi hanging out in this area where they're supposed to all be gone. And and it felt like at the end when they said, no, the reason why we want her is because she's that original material that we need if we're going to make more clones, that they kind of had settled that question. But I'm kind of curious, like, was that something that, that you and your people – was that something that you and, like, the communities you were in was being talked about? Did you have, like, do you still want to see her be Force-sensitive or do you think it's better if that's not on the table? What, what's kind of your thoughts on that? Yeah, um – I think the Force really doesn't have a place in this show. It doesn't need to have a place. It can be included in little ways. If we happen to run across one of the Jedi that's out and about, I wouldn't love it, but I'm not going to hate the show for it or anything like that. Um, I had no idea, like, that Omega could be Force-sensitive. That went over my head. Mm -hmm. I didn't catch any of that. If there are any hints to that, I felt like... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I just didn't see that at all until, I mean, I heard you guys mention it on the show, and I was like, oh, 
I was like, that would suck. I don't want her to be force sensitive. Like, <laughs> what? Okay, we're on the same page. <laughs> no, yeah. We're on the same page here. Same page. I just don't feel a need for it. And similar, yeah. we were talking about it with the show Resistance, where there's really not any inclusion of the force or lightsabers, and it's perfect the way it is. It's not necessary to yeah. have that. And as far yeah. as I know from season one, you know, none of the characters are clone sensitive. Clone sensitive? Right. Force sensitive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah, those are my thoughts on Omega and the Force. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I totally think that makes a lot of sense. And I think there's just a – I think part of it may have been because at that point we still hadn't gotten much media that wasn't involved in the Force. And there's a part of you that's just, oh, she's special. Does that mean she uses the Force? And it was almost kind of instinctual. And I'm really glad that we're kind of getting away from that and, and having to have that kind of thinking. Because, yeah, I don't think there actually is much in the show that supports that idea. It's just the, oh, well, she's sensitive. And we're supposed to have a, jet- a Force-sensitive person somewhere in the show, right? Because lightsabers are cool. Um, so, yeah, glad that that's not necessarily the direction that's going. No, yeah, I love it. And I love that it's like they don't seem to really idolize or worship the Jedi either. Like... Mm-hmm. Echo seems to be the friendliest towards the idea of the Jedi. Like, when they first meet Sid, he's like, okay, the Jedi had a contact here. His name is Sid. Right. I've never met him, but, like, he should be here. And they're like, okay, do you trust this contact? And Echo was like, the Jedi trusted them, or trusted him. Right. And Tech goes, you mean the Jedi who are all dead? <laughs> And I just think that's really funny. And it's like the perfect perspective for all of them to have. They don't really understand or know the nuances of it. They're just like, okay, the Jedi were here. The chip's activated and now they're gone. And now we move on. Well, especially because I think it's one of the most interesting parts of the Bad Batch is that for most of the regular soldiers, yeah, the Jedi were their generals. The Jedi were their captains. The Jedis were the one who were like with them day and night Mm -hmm. all the time. The Bad Batch, and they talk about this, they went off on their own missions all the time, and they didn't often have a Jedi with them. So, yeah, yeah they have, they're much more detached about the Jedi than is everybody else. Yeah, definitely. They didn't have, like, a consistent general they were working under. Right. Yeah. So, we've been going for a while. I don't want us to take too long. There's so much we could say about the show. I mean, literally, uh, Paul and I and some others did an episode on every episode of this that you can go back and listen to. But... What are some of the things you're most excited for in season two or like looking forward to seeing or, or even dreading to see? And again, I will say holding on to the kind of attitude that ethical panda tends to have. Um, we, ha- I, I at least have not watched any trailers. I have not seen, I've avoided as many as I can the spoilers. And so we might say things where if you've watched the trailers, you're like, what do you mean? Of course we know that it's going to be this thing. Mm-hmm. This is just, we're always going to be the kind of like as few spoilers as possible. So we're just talking about what we know from season one. And and the greater Star Wars universe. Yeah. So my overarching hopes for season two. First and foremost, I want Hondo Onaka. I want our pirate king. Mm -hmm. Yep. He would be the perfect little side episode, you know, an arms dealer that they meet or someone they run across and they're both trying to get the same score Mm -hmm. or something like that. I would just love to see that. Um, I definitely want more Rex simply because he's the best. And also, I think he raises a big question for the Bad Batch of, like, do we re-enter this fight into fighting for something bigger? Because Rex is very much back on board with the Rebellion, trying to fight back against the Empire, and they're very much... Well, isn't he... Because I remember in in Rebels, 
we find Rex where Rex is kind of off on this planet with Wolf and I think one or two other clones. And they're just doing these hunts for these big beasts. And they're kind of totally disconnected from the whole fight. And the Rebels crew has to pull them back in. So it wouldn't be this – well, we don't know where Rex is now. But I think Rex is moving towards a time when he's going to be disconnected from the fight for a long while, isn't he? Or am I getting my dates wrong? No, you are right. It's an empty space we haven't explored yet because – yeah. The reason that Rex finds the Bad Batch is because he is involved in the very start of the rebellion. Because, um, you know, right. he's the contact that Trace and – oh, whatever. Trace Martez and Rafa. That's her sister's name. Right. Trace and Rafa, he's their contact that they're trying to get information to to help fight back against the Empire. So That's he's right. definitely – at this point, he is involved. And yeah. maybe during the show, we will see what happens to get him so uninvolved. Because you're right. When we right. see him in Rebels, not only is he just like on a backwater planet minding his business, he's very wary about getting back into the fight. He doesn't really right. want that at that time. So it will be yeah. interesting to see what happens there. Um, I think the same with this. Um, I don't necessarily want a lot of Force users on this show. But I think if there's any who we might see for a little bit, it might be Ahsoka. Yeah. Because there's a lot of characters we don't know. Like, we know that she pops back up during Rebels. We don't know what was she doing in these 15 years, especially because how was she hiding from the awareness of the um, of Vader and the Inquisitors and all that? Um, I think, I mean, by this point, the Inquisitors don't really even exist yet. Like, we might start to see the, the beginnings of that. Well, no, that I think that happens more in the Rebels era, so probably not that. But, but yeah, it'd be... I don't want to see Force users. I wouldn't mind if we saw a little bit of like Ahsoka and Rex and like how do they decide to kind of pull back from everything. Mm-hmm. We know that there's kind of the beginnings of like kind of like underground railroads for some of the like Jedi who did su- survive Order 66. And I could see the Bad Batch getting like a little bit clued into that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm hoping we don't get too much of that that it dominates. But I do want to see more of like – I don't know what happens for these 15 years. And I would just, I, I love the idea that the Bad Batch could show us more of that. Yeah. I like the idea about the Underground Railroad because we do see that in the show Kenobi. We see right. that very heavily. And there's even a mention of the Jedi Quinlan Voss, who's mm-hmm. in the Clone Wars. He's also in the book Dark Disciple, which is really good. Um, really, really good. Yeah. But yeah, we see he left a mark, you know, on the Underground Railroad. And so he could be a really great character to include, actually. And yeah. maybe, like, the Bad Batch gets involved in smuggling Force-sensitive people. Maybe that's mm-hmm. part of how they're fighting back against the Empire. Or maybe they're just being paid to do it. Yeah. And so really that could be really fun to see. I'd love to see – I mean, I always love to see Ahsoka. But I understand if she mm-hmm. doesn't fit into the show. But, yeah, yeah, I think Quinlan could be a really fun character to have back, too. Mm-hmm. He really is. He didn't have much of a role in the Clone Wars, but he had some important ones. And, and the book Dark Disciple is just – I mean, A, it's one of the most romantic books that's written in the Star Wars universe, mm-hmm. which after – there's a lot of the non-Disney canon, the Legends canon that I've come to really enjoy. And I'm sure some of it has some romance that's well-written. There's some of it where – like the Darth Bane books are some of my favorite books in Star Wars, except for the fact – then I'm fairly certain the author has never been within 100 feet of someone who wasn't male. Um, and just the writing of the women characters is so oh. bad. Um, but, like, they're all femme fatales and they're all, like, it's that kind of nonsense. Thank God. But, like, yeah, you come to Dark Disciple and A, it's a very good romance. B, it's just a great story. 
it is such an interesting exploration of light side, dark side. And by the end of it, Quinlan is such a – he's come back from the dark side, but in such a jaded, like, I've lost everything. I've lost the person I love. I'm not really sure where I fit any more way. But yeah, seeing him in this period would be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he's making his way into that, like, gray Jedi category mm-hmm. where you see and recognize both light and dark and you use and, rec- and like – Utilize, yeah. yeah, both light and dark. Definitely, definitely. Any other big things you're looking for? <sighs> yeah. One specific thing I want real bad. What's that? It's not going to happen this season because I've seen some of the stills that have come out. Um, but I want Hunter with a bun. I want a man bun. I want a man bun <laughs> with that bandana. I want it bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> You heard it here first, folks, yep. man. I, I've started doing, like, the pull the hair back and, like, you know, I I heard that man bun was a bad word, but maybe it could oh. be a good thing. And I'm not saying I'm Hunter, but, you know, <laughs> if Hunter can pull it off, then maybe the rest of us can know that we can pull it off, too. So, I'll, I'll – I, I, I could see that being an interesting look. Mm-hmm. I want it. <laughs> yeah. I think I just want – I want more of these characters. I want more crosshair. I want to see more of – how the how where the stormtroopers come from, you know, and and one thing I think that's very interesting is they've they've made very clear that like part of why they have the stormtroopers is to save money because they're just a lot cheaper to get, um and uh you know that they they made a reference to their armor being a lot weaker, which is kind of important because as we found like there has never been a moment in Star Wars that I have ever seen where someone hit a stormtrooper with anything, be it like a laser or a punch or a rock, and the storm the, the, and the armor stopped anything. Mm-hmm. Like, the armor is just cardboard. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, you know, maybe a reference of Tarkin to being like, eh, let's cut the budget for, like, you know, uh, accuracy training with the, with the rifles. They'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah, I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see more of the Empire development. And I think I just want to spend more time with these characters, because you're right, they're so – Found family is such a great theme, and I think that it, there is such a strong element of it within the Bad Batch that I'm truly really excited to see how that develops and to see where where um, uh, Omega goes. Yeah, yeah. One one last thing I want to say also about Omega that is um, representation is something obviously that I care about a lot, and I think I, I'm interested in where this will come down. But I hope the show will address to some extent where her gender comes in because she is female. And on the one hand, if she is an exact genetic clone of the all the other clones, like, there's an argument then that maybe she's trans. Mm-hmm. If maybe, like, she is, like, you know, like, AMAB, basically, um, assigned male at birth. But it doesn't – there's nothing to indicate that. And I don't think the show is going to get into, like, a transgender discussion necessarily. But it would be – everything they're saying, nothing has ever explained why she winds up being female. Um, and if it is the character's agency, that would be awesome. If it is like, I, I took biology and genetics 30 years ago, but my memory <laughs> is that like every embryo starts out female and then like, um, the ones that become like male biologically, at least uh, all, all these phrases are very hard to use. I apologize. But, um, you know, so that might be a reason, but I'd be curious to see if they'd explore that at least a little bit, or at least just give us some kind of knowledge about that. Yeah, I agree. There is, there's definitely questions about Omega because, they say she's the only other exact genetic replica. Okay, why is she a female? And why is she blonde? Right. Why is she blonde? Where did that come yep. from? The only other blonde clone is Rex. And I'm pretty sure he dyes it. I'm like 100% yep. sure he bleaches it. 
he, that that is a California peroxide man. <laughs> Maha. <laughs> so yeah, it would be interesting to get into more of like what exactly is happening with her genetics. Yeah, I think so. So we'll see. Yeah. We're going to start wrapping up by now. This is going to be the last episode of this year. Uh, starting next year, there is going to be a Patreon that we're going to be uh, launching for Ethical Panda. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on with uh, the, the podcast that I'm doing. There's some big changes happening over at Superhero Ethics that you hear me talk about over there. And I want to be able to keep creating all this great content for you, but it is expensive in terms of the equipment that's used, the time and effort and all of that, uh, the editing and all that. So – you can always keep listening for free. That is always going to be a thing. I don't ever want anyone to feel pressured. But for those of you, a lot of people express desire to express support. There's going to be a Patreon. And one thing that's going to happen is uh, if you're at a Patreon at a certain level, it'll be fairly low. You're going to get some bonus content with every episode. Um, a lot of times it's going to be, especially on superhero ethics, kind of like, okay, what are you watching that's similar to that? Uh, Aaron and I are going to chat a little bit about what the bonus content for that will be. Um uh, so it's not going to be as a part of this episode, but it, probably the first episode of Bad Batch itself we will have for you, and it'll be for free. Just give you kind of a teaser of what it'll be like, and then we'll hopefully start having it uh, as part of the Patreon. So please check out the Patreon. Uh, please check out all the other great ways to support what we're doing here. The simple best thing is to share this with people. If you're excited about the Bad Batch, if you're talking about the Bad Batch, if you want other people talking about the Bad Batch, please share this podcast with some friends. We're going to start having um, more reels online where there'll be like a 30-second or 60-second clip of something we're saying from um, – it'll be on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, those kind of places. Well, Twitter as long as they allow it to before it becomes a huge dumpster fire. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but just or you just want to share the link with someone or just tell someone about it. Those are all great ways to help support us. Also, feedback. As we go forward with Bad Batch, we want to be in discussions with you all. And we'll probably do – we might take your feedback episode by episode. We might do it as a like every three weeks or so. We'll do just a feedback episode. Not sure what it's going to look like yet, but definitely send in your thoughts and your feedback. So um, if you go to theethicalpanda.com, there you'll find all our information, Facebook, Twitter, email. Best way to reach me is just Matthew at theethicalpanda.com, and I'll share all those with Aaron. Um, but also just anything else that you want to send in, be a part of the conversations, find it all there. So that's the ethical panda side of things. Aaron, for you, uh, where can people find the other stuff you're doing? Because you're doing a lot of awesome stuff right now. Yeah, um, I mostly do Ahsoka-related cosplay things. Um, I'm currently rebuilding my armor, and I'm about to rebuild my Leku, the headdress, as well. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, I like to document those as I go, maybe post some other funny things. Right now on my Instagram, I'm doing Christmas Ahsoka pictures. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So my handle is lady period Tano period creates. That's for Instagram and TikTok. If you want to check me out there, follow along, see what I've got to offer, you know, that'd be cool. But other than that, I just cannot wait for this season two. I have been on the edge of my seat since it was supposed to come out in October. And then they delayed it and I ripped all my hair out and I cried. And now it's almost <laughs> January so I can breathe easy again. <laughs> and I'm really glad for that because I admit I was, especially after Andor, um, and because Andor was so good and also that I know Ahsoka was coming, I was worried that I have a little bit of like, okay, Bad Batch is fine, but when do I get Ahsoka? <laughs> um and I feel like I'm so glad you and I are going to be talking about this because you have so much excitement about it. You're reminding me of all the reasons I'm excited about it. Um, Paul might come on for some episodes. Hopefully Danielle and AJ mm -hmm. and Matthew Capel and some of the other guests we've had are going to come on. And, you know, it's not just going to be all sunshine and roses. It's not going to be all sunshine and roses. I'm sure there'll be some stuff that one of us doesn't like or that, you know, just doesn't fit right or whatever it is. We'll be honest about that. But I think we're just 
it's just so fun to be excited about Star Wars. And there's just so much great content coming out, and I'm really looking forward to it. So, Aaron, thank you so much for being a part of this. To all you fans and listeners out there, thank you all so much for all the awesome things you're doing, and have a good day. 